a long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 18, The Human Fly, issue number one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine Marvel Cosmic Comics feed. This is a feed of short episodes that will be compiled into longer episodes that go into the main feed. These short episodes are going issue by issue. Uh, The main feed has these episodes compiled into longer form that goes month by month. And so this would be the final episode, uh, the final part rather, of a longer episode because this is the final issue of the Marvel licensed books that I will be covering from September 1977 cover date. Now, when I talked about the licensing that Marvel Comics had, uh, I mentioned other things, quote unquote. And this is that other thing I was talking about. And I'm so delighted that this popped up so soon and that I had this surprise come so soon in my reading. This licensed character here is not a toy, is not a movie, is not a TV show. It's a person. And the cover boldly proclaims to us the wildest superhero ever because he's real. The human fly. The human fly was a real stuntman who got together with uh, Marvel and they developed a comic book to promote him as a stuntman and as a stuntman he had done some tv specials and he is most well known for doing his stunt where he uh rides on top of a 747 i think he did it a couple times one time he got pelted with rain while he was doing it and and they were going so fast that he's hitting the rain so hard that he actually got hospitalized for that but they had an apparatus that they attached to the the top of this 747 and he would actually stand in this apparatus as it would fly up and fly around and um, he wore a costume. He wore this costume that looks like a cross between something Spider-Man would wear and something Evil Knievel would wear. And it's it's a you know a jumpsuit. It's got flashy gloves. It has a half cape kind of thing, like a Captain Marvel kind of cape, if you can imagine that, uh, kind of hanging off to one one shoulder. But he doesn't wear it all the time because it you know, let's be realistic. This is Marvel, and and if you're wearing a cape, usually that means you're either a god or a bad guy, and he's neither. But anyway. Um, he, on the cover of this magazine, it says first fantastic issue and tells us from the shadow of the grave, he rose to become the greatest death defier of them all. And then it shows those examples of him being a great death defier. It shows him doing the 747 stunt that he was known for, that he had gotten the most publicity for. It shows him hanging from a helicopter. It shows him walking a tightrope over some waterfalls and it doesn't look like Niagara Falls. Um, but I mean, a tightrope over waterfalls no matter what that's that's dangerous and this is not 
I don't think that's actually meant to be a stunt so much as it's meant to be like out in the wild because it's just a rope wrapped around some rocks. It also shows him underwater or at least it's implied that he's underwater, although his feet look like he's actually standing. And part of his costume is a pimp cane. And, you know, like like Daredevil and like some other characters, he, he has that that stick that does things. Well, his stick looks like a pimp game and he's using it to smack a shark on the snout. And all I can say is if I read this comic book and I find him doing that in this comic book, quite possibly this may just be the best Marvel comic from the 70s ever. Also, if it's in this comic book, quite possibly it could be the worst Marvel comic book to come from the 70s ever. But um, like I said, though, this is based on a real guy. This is based on um, his, his name is Rick Rojat. And there is some question about who the human fly is uh, or was, I should say, in real life. Uh, I will tell you right now that I have been doing a little bit of research and I'll be talking more about that in the future. Right now, though, for this episode of the comic book time machine, I'm just going to take this comic book for what it is and what it's trying to give me. This is trying to give me a story about the wildest superhero ever because he's real. And so I'm going to accept things at face value or not accept it because of its face value. But um, I'm not going to take the any of the back knowledge that I have other than what the book gives me and the things that I've just said to you about this character, about the, the, I shouldn't say this character, about the guy in real life is, you know, with the different stunts and stuff that he did, that's in this book. And so I'm not going beyond the confines of this book into some of the, um, the interviews and stuff like that, that they've done. But I also will say then, uh, the other thing that this guy does or did is all of his proceeds went to charity because – and the charities were charities that dealt usually with children and usually with children who had special needs or disabilities or handicaps or that kind of thing. And he was also trying to inspire people you know, who, who had uh, illnesses and who had um, – you know, who were born with, with things that, that caused them to not be, not be typical uh, the way that they function and that kind of thing. And so he was trying to also inspire them because according to him – and again, this is from the magazine uh, – he was 60% steel. His his skeleton structure was 60% steel because of an accident he had been in. We're going to get to that. So I think we should just go ahead and start talking about the comic and, and not so much background, not so many details here. But um, again, we start with a splash page. And I don't know why it's taken me until now to realize that every single comic in this time period is just going to open with a splash page. It's going to open with a splash page, give you the title. In this case, the title is simply Death Walk. Uh, which I find kind of fun considering the Star Wars uh, issue of this month was also simply titled Death Star. Our writer is Bill Mantlo. And I, again, I'm just delighted to come and say, hey, Bill Mantlo, finally, I thought I was going to have to wait until Micronauts or, or until, uh, until Rom. The artist is Lee Elias. Joe Rosen is the letterer. Mar Marie Severinsen is the colorist. And Archie Goodwin is the editor, of course. And this splash page, we are starting right in the middle of the action. Again, this is something that Marvel Comics, almost every issue is doing that uh, this month. Um, with the exception of Star Wars, you're starting with a, fla uh, a splash page and then going into flashback to find out how you got there. But here we have the um, the human fly is hanging from a helicopter um, by his legs. 
his arms are reaching down toward a 747 jet and he is trying to reach out with uh, metal or not metal with magnetic gloves that are going to allow him to touch the top of the, the jet and be able to stay on top of the jet so he can get inside. And why does he need to get inside? Well, we'll find that out in a minute. Right now we're introduced to the primary cast of the comic, the supporting cast. And one of those guys is um, <clears throat> uh, Ted Locke. Ted Locke is the engineer, the stunt engineer. He has lost his hands and has these uh, metallic uh, hooks um, that that they had back, again, back in the 70s where the prosthetic hands were more or less going to be um, hooks that had pincher kind of things. Uh, then there's the pilot, Blaze Kendall, and she is a pilot who believes in herself mainly because the human fly believes in her. We'll get to why in a, in a minute. And then there's Harmony White, who's a reporter who she is going to expose the glory hound that the human fly is if it kills her, because she is convinced that he is just a glory hound and that giving away money to charity is just another way of hounding the glory. And it's through her that we go into flashback to find out how things happened here. Uh, and in the flashback, she is interviewing, um, She's interviewing uh, the agent who kind of is in charge, uh, Arnie Berman, and he is the human flies agent in, in the stories. And so um, it starts out and they're at a press conference because he's going to do this stunt and she's accusing him of being a glory seeker as a stunt man. And they're saying if he was really interested in glory, why would he keep his identity secret and why would he give his money to charity? And then someone comes running and says that plane that's coming in, it's the press plane from New York. That's an important detail. It's. Uh, there's there are terrorists on board, um, <laughs> and the leader of the terrorists is named the mercenary. Um, yeah, well, he wants money, and he's going to get that money, and then he's going to get safe passage to Mexico. And on the plane are the press corps who are coming to cover the stunt that the human fly was getting ready to do. And in the press corps is a guy in a V-neck sweater with a camera who has a nice uh, square cropped uh, haircut. It's no surprise because although the splash page says, wait till you see who his amazing quote unquote guest star is. Um, we know, I mean, this is an issue one. We're probably going to have Spider-Man. And so we have, there's Peter Parker front and center with the press score. He can't do anything about the terrorists though, because then people would see his secret identity, but the human fly, he jumps into action and he is going to take care of it. And so this is where we get into the situation where he's hanging from the helicopter to stand, to go on top of the 747. He's a stunt man. He's done this before. He is trying to get low enough, but then they're flying through a storm now. I don't know that they why they were surprised about the storm, but they are. He's twisting and turning around, trying to get his hands onto the thing. So as he's getting his hands onto the plane so the magnets can catch um, his his uh, his engineer is trying to hold the the pole that he's hanging from in place and he's i've got to do it i've got to do it and then the pilot uh blaze she is trying to pilot and keep the helicopter lined up with the plane so it doesn't tear him apart and they're both saying i've got to do it i've got to do it and then we get flashbacks to their backstory and we find out that blaze was uh, a pilot and she was co-pilot rather on a on a commercial jet and the pilot died <laughs> and landed he just falls forward lands on the stick jams it down hard um maybe he wasn't dead because it says he's heart 
pills in pocket. But it's too late for pills. His body lurched forward. And so she is able to pull the plane up, but only barely. And it crashes. And she is wounded. She's hurt. No one died, though. She's she's the only one who doesn't consider herself a hero. And then her in her hospital room, she's visited by this man. This man in shadows who comes to her and says, we've been through things. You've been in pain, but it's time to stop. It's time to stop second-guessing yourself. It's time to get back into the game. And I need you because you're you're good. And so um, she, after her burns and stuff are healed, she goes with him. And she becomes a part of the Human Flies crew. Now, he's not the Human Fly. He's in street clothes, but you never see his face. And then you find out... Um, Ted Locke's backstory and Ted Locke served in Vietnam. They were going to blow up a bridge, but then he saw some, um, a, a mother and some children getting ready to walk across the bridge. So he runs out to the bridge to stop them. The bridge blows up. He's in the hospital for a long time, but when he wakes up from his, his, uh, coma and stuff, he's, he's lost his hands and he's, he's just ready to give up. But then a strange silhouetted man comes to him and says, look, it's time for you to come with me. I need you. Tony Stark thinks you're good enough that he's aware of you as an engineer. I need you. He says, I can't do it. Who would need a handless engineer? And then uh, the, the the faceless form shows him scars on his arms and says, look at these scars. Uh, 60% of my body has been replaced with steel. So flashbacks are all done now, except for one. We're missing one flashback. Uh, but the, the primary flashbacks are done. We're going to get into the action now. And so the human fly, he's on the plane, but he's facing the wrong direction because he got twisted around. So he's going to let himself flip around. He lands on his feet. He has magnets in his feet. And so he's walking across the top of the 747. Now the mercenaries hear him. They start shooting through the roof of the 747, knock him off. And then we find out he's he's not just got magnets. He also has little jets in his hands and in his feet. And those jets are just enough to get him back onto the plane. He's hanging onto the wing. And now we get our final flashback. And that final flashback takes us to a, an accident in North Carolina uh, where a man's wife and child are killed. He's in critical condition. He's covered in bandages. They tell him he'll never walk again. They tell him he'll never do anything again. But he refuses to accept it. He... Um, slowly at night when no one's around, he'll pull himself from the bed and, and, and pull himself back in. And then finally he gets into where he can stand. And then he exercises and as the days become months and the months become years until he gets himself into top physical condition. <laughs> the final, uh, thing in, in the, in that little montage there is him standing on his hands. And that's where the human fly is born is as he's walking through the hospital and seeing people who have no hope. He wants to give them hope. And so then flashback is done. We go back into the action. He gets on the plane. He starts fighting. The fighting's enough of a diversion for Spider-Man to join in the fight. And so they're fighting, fighting, fighting for a couple pages here. And then the mercenary, he has a jetpack. He jumps from the plane. And of course, human fly goes after him and they're falling together. So Spider-Man jumps out. He spins some parachute webs and slowly allows them to, to fall to the ground where they find um, the mercenary. And, and as people rush in to, uh, to interview him and take pictures and stuff like that, well, Spider-Man swings away because he can't be seen as Spider-Man. You know, he's, he's got to join the press corps again as, as Peter Parker. 
in our last two panels, we see um, you know the, the guy who ran the event. <laughs> they they got quite a show already without any audience, but um, apparently there's reward money involved for taking out the terrorist. And, and Human Fly wants nothing of the reward money. Give it to charity, he says. And the airlines are going to take care of our flight home. We don't need any of the money. And so um, he and his his compatriots they leave, and all the while behind them. We have a reporter, and she's thinking to herself, he's too good. I'm going to find out who he is, expose him, if it's the last thing I do. So I've been curious about The Human Fly, and and obviously I'm curious enough to to buy it so I could read it. But I'm reading this, and I'm just thinking to myself, well, this feels very by the numbers. Um, This feels like you know a, a pretty typical type of thing where you have um, an adventure flashbacks to the origin and a Spider-Man guest star. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't envy Bill Mantlo the, uh, the job of writing this. And here's the other thing is I listened to a podcast called the danger room, which is an X-Men podcast where they're going issue by issue through the X-Men comic books. And they did a Marvel team up issue that they talked about. And uh, hang on just a second. Let me read to you uh, about this this Marvel Team-Up issue. I haven't read this issue of Marvel Team-Up, but it's Marvel Team-Up Annual 1. And it's starring Spider-Man and the X-Men. And uh, there's this government conspiracy project, blah, blah, blah. And then the project was canceled, blah, blah, blah. That's not important. What's important is here we come to then months later, a Boeing 474 is flying over the Arizona desert on its way to the International Conference on Man-Made Mutation. On board the plane are noted scientists Sir Lionel, Dr. Fermizzi, Dr. Mishkin, and the outspoken Senator Turner. Turner is in a fury not only because the Soviet Dr. Miskin is on the board, but because a company, Professor Charles Xavier who's also on board, are his students who managed to get a free flight on Reed Richards' say-so. Professor Xavier defends his students' presence aboard the plane to all gathered there, including Peter Parker, <laughs> including Peter Parker, who has been selected by Sir Lionel to cover the story for the Daily Bugle due to Parker's background as a physics student. Okay, so <laughs> I don't envy Bill Mantlo because Bill Mantlo wrote that story as well. And so what's the device he uses to bring X-Men together with Peter Parker and Spider-Man outside of New York? A plane ride. A plane ride that he happens to be there as a reporter slash photographer. And what do we have here in The Human Fly? Well, it kind of has to be a plane ride. And so I feel like, and people have said things about Bill Mantlo's writing and stuff like that. But here... I'll say this. I don't think this is lazy writing. I think this is Bill Mantlo kind of getting stuck and saying, "Uh uh-oh, I already did this story. But the only really good way to do a story that includes Spider-Man and also includes the human fly on top of a 747, because you have to put him on top of the 747, because being on top of 747s is what this guy is known for. Um, You kind of have to have Peter Parker be there, incidentally, because he's coming to do reporting as a photographer on the plane. And so then uh, back in, in the uh, Marvel team up, there's, you know, there's fights and stuff uh, on the plane. And, and it just, it felt like Marvel team up annual. Number one feels a lot like the human fly number one. And it's really unfortunate. Um, In fact, I believe 
that he does some web parachutes to, I think he's slowing the plane down in the Marvel team up annual. But in, uh, you know, in here, he's using his spider parachutes to float down to the ground. And, you know, I'm surprised they don't mention that Spider-Man's in the comic on the cover because that used to be a selling point. You want to sell something new. You put Spider-Man in it. You want to sell Howard the Duck. You put Spider-Man in it. I mean, Spider-Man even was in Transformers, that first four-issue miniseries. Spider-Man shows up in you know, his black costume uh, to, to be a part of the action. Why? Because Spider-Man sells comics. Who makes more sense for a special guest star to, uh, to kind of bring in readers? Who makes more sense than Spider-Man? when you're with the human fly. Now they do give some motivation to put Peter on the plane. And that is that Peter is coming to investigate the human fly to find out if the human fly is the same guy as a villain called the human fly that Spider-Man had dealt with in the past. So yeah, the, the adventure is meant to just show you what does the human fly do? What is he like? Um, what is his background? What's his backstory? Uh, who is his supporting cast? I mean, this is a pilot of a TV show right here, especially a pilot of a TV show in the 70s, because this is, I think we're looking at a show, uh, a show. I think we're looking at a comic about a traveling do-gooder. Um, you know, I think we're looking at a comic about some, you know, the A-Team or um, <laughs> uh, the Incredible Hulk, you know, the traveling do-gooder going from town to town as a stunt man. He's going to do a stunt, but something's going to happen nearby where he's going to end up dealing with some villains and maybe he's going to end up, um, you know, guest starring with, with some sort of, of superhero that that's well known or better known. Um, the only real antagonist that they give us as a recurring antagonist anyway, is Harmony White, the reporter who is just dead set on uncovering what's this guy's story. What is this guy's story? Well, there are, uh, some there's a lot of conflicting reports and stuff. We'll get into some of the background about this character and about the the people working on the comic later. For now, like I said, we're taking the comic and what the comic is giving us. And what does the comic give us? Well, like almost every issue one that I've looked at from the 70s there, there's a mission statement here. And the mission statement here is the making of a hero. Who is the human fly? A tentative explanation by bill mantlo now he wrote this long essay and i'm not going to read the whole thing i'm going to read some some of the highlights here though um he starts out by saying the human fly is me he's also you and millions of other people you've encountered every day of your life since the day you were born the human fly is a concept an idea the truly wondrous thing about him though is that he's real we said that on the cover we said it on the title page and folks we meant it. And then he talks about some of the stunts that he's done and some of the places that he's done those stunts. And then he gives them the background that we actually got in the comic book. Uh, it began six years ago in a head-on car crash on a lonely road near Asheville, North Carolina. A young man driving the first car was seriously injured. His wife and children were killed instantly. And he, on being rushed to a hospital, hung for days between life and death, fighting inwardly to survive, summoning all his free will and a fierce desire to live. It was said he would remain a cripple for the rest of his life. In the months and years to come, the, this young man underwent countless operations financed by the father of the driver of the second car. These operations replaced a substantial amount of his skeletal frame with steel. 
says he remembered tales of the daredevils of the D depression era, the 1930s when flagpole sitting or a walk up the side of a sky skyscraper or the exploits of a super escape artist would excite the imagination of millions, give hope to those without hope, raise them above the crushing problems of everyday life for one brief shining moment. So they would see for themselves that anything is possible. If you just dare to try, he knew that he had been spared a living death for just that purpose. And then it actually quotes the human fly here. I've never been terrified or scared in my life, said the human fly, and I'm not fighting to walk to the bank with millions of dollars for myself. I'd like to make millions for the kids. I've got 50 million kids out there depending on me. I've got a lot of people to support, youngsters in hospitals, struggling against cancer, polio, cerebral palsy, or whatever. I've got a lot of people to support, and this is my way of doing it. And then uh, Bill Mantlo ends it with by uh, agreeing. He says, we couldn't agree with the fly more. So this story is interesting to me. This character is interesting to me. I'm excited to see what happens here, but I'm also a little weary. It could just get into a kind of thing where every issue is the same setup, like a TV series. It could get old if it is going to do that, but but maybe it won't. And maybe there'll be some intrigue and maybe there'll be some interesting plots and, and some things like that. Uh, what will be interesting, though, is is as I get into some of the details behind the guy. Like I said, I've started doing some research about that, um, but I'm, I wasn't ready to include that here. And it gives me something to talk about next time, especially if the issue is just by the numbers kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that's the human fly. And I think it's time now to, to turn and, and get into the bullpen bulletin and, and then close this, this episode down. Epilogue, bullpen bulletin. So I like to end each uh, episode kind of going through the book and taking a look at some of the ads and some of the um, the house things. And I, I will say on the back cover of these comics, um, Dilo, uh, Dino De Laurentiis presents Orca, starring Richard Harris. And I only bring that up because I liked that movie. I actually probably like that movie more than I should. <laughs> there is an ad for uh, John Buscema. Uh, who has an, a little ad here, has a picture of Conan, and it says, John Bishama wants new students. New York class in comic book art. Also, new course in comic book writing. Stan Lee, guest lecturer. For more details, send name and address to John Bishama. P.O. Box uh, gives an address in New York. Stan Lee, guest lecturer. I don't think I mentioned this in the last episode. It seems familiar, though. Well, anyway, I would love to find out what happened with those those classes there. Um, and then there's also an ad for Pacific Comics. And Pacific Comics, the collector's best friend. And they have a catalog with a full-color cover by Frank Frazetta for their comic book catalog. And I remember I used to try and get comic book catalogs in the, the 80s is when I got them. But, um, yeah, Pacific Comics then became a publisher. It became the comic book publisher Pacific Comics. They started out as comic dealers and then expanded their business to um, mail order and had multiple locations and then, yeah, became the publisher Pacific Comics. So that's kind of interesting. Half page ad there. Uh, Joe Weider still wants to build me a better body for just $7.98. Um, and some of his secrets uh, were used by Arnold Schwarzenegger um, and Franco Columbu and Steve Reeves. Mr. America. Um, I don't know who any of these people that I'm actually mentioning are, except for Arnold Schwarzenegger. There is a picture of Joe 
Joe Weider standing with his famous pupil, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Olympia winner. And this is before he was Arnold. Although maybe he still was Arnold, but this is kind of before that. Uh, and then there is the, the actual bullpen bulletin. And in the, the actual bullpen bulletin that they have, they make some promises here. And some interesting promises. They promise that they're going to launch more tie-ins to movies, including The Island of Dr. Moreau and The Deep and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And then they leave a hint about James Bond. They also mention um, The Human Fly there as one of their items. And now I'd like to turn our attention to what else was on the spinner rack that I ignored um, and didn't pick up because this was an interesting month when I was looking at it. There were a lot of different um, licensed books on the shelves, including uh, DC. They had Welcome Back Carter as one of their their books on the shelves. Um, Gold Key had Twilight Zone on the shelf during this time, which I found to be kind of interesting. But the other thing I found interesting was along with Star Wars, I was surprised to see that if you were to look at the shelf – Next to Star Wars might have been another Gold Key comic, and that's Star Trek. Now, I was surprised to see that Gold Key was still publishing Star Trek comics at this point in time. Uh, now, this issue that would have been on the stands uh, in June of 77, along with Star Wars and all these other things, uh, was issue number number 46. But that's toward the end of their run. They only... Well, they, they, well, I shouldn't even say toward the end of the run because it went 61 issues. The last gold key issue is in 79. Um, I, this surprises me and it surprises me because I know that, that the Star Trek license is going to be coming from Marvel soon enough. But, um, I'm a fan of those gold key Star Trek comic books. I, I don't know exactly how I'm going to tie that into what the comic book time machine does, but. I do like those. Uh, the other thing is you would also see um, on the shelf another star title. Uh, DC Superstars was like a DC tryout book, and they were starting a feature called Star Hunters. So Star Hunters, Star Trek, Star Wars, these are all on, on the shelf right there. And because of the timing here, I don't think that Star Hunters was trying to capture any of the Star Wars lightning in a bottle. I do think later on in its run that it might have gotten haunted by the the uh, specter of Star Wars or the shadow of Star Wars over it. But yeah, so I, I that is a great series, though. I, I enjoyed that one a lot. The Star Hunters series. They, they moved from DC Superstars to its own title. Uh, and it's just good, fun 70s sci-fi. And I, I plan to do something with that in the future, too. But anyway, that I just found those to be, to be kind of interesting. So with all that said, I, I appreciate you listening. And thank you for, um, for joining me on this trip through time. And I would just say right now, um, you, know, you can go to Comic Book Time Machine if you want to contact us for any reason. If you want to leave feedback about any episodes or anything like that. Again, I thank you for listening. And... Until next time, um, let me see if I can find some sort of inspirational quote to leave you from the human fly. Uh, until next time, you've given up before you've even got started. Given up on yourself. But if I can make it, then so can you. You're the best, and I need you.
Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, Logan's Run, number seven.